Welcome to Betting the Bulls, brought to you by Saturday Football. We have a little bit of a, a lighter crowd on hand. It is just a two-man game that mm-hmm. we'll be playing. Uh, Bob Winkle, our usual um, co-host of Betting the Bulls, he is not with us today. He's got a bunch of things during this week of just pandemonium in between Christmas and New Year's. So it's just going to be a little bit of a throwback, a little bit of an SDS podcast. Yeah throwback with Marler uh, and and myself. Marler, how are we feeling? Good. I thought you were about to go into like like when Meredith got hit by the car in the office and just like doctors did everything they could and Bob's going to make it and just like <laughs> Stanley, what is wrong with you? Um, no, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited. The bowl, I feel like this is the best week of the year. I think I tweeted it yesterday. It's like that week where you don't know if it's Thursday or if it's February. Like there's just like not a ton of responsibilities going on. There's the, the, Food in the house is stocked from Christmas, um, and there's bowl games on from like you know, like noon to midnight every day. So it's it's been really fun. The fact that we have this week in the college football calendar is something that I, I think is pretty untouchable. I, I really yeah. don't think any other sport, maybe with the exception of the Olympics, actually, that's the only thing that comes to mind where you can just say, all right. As you said, you don't know if it's February, if it's Wednesday, whatever it is. There's sports on television, and that is a great, great place to be. We've pretty much talked about every single bowl game that's happened so far, with the exception of the two playoff games. So fit, fitting, we have a two-man crew today, and we have two games to be able to talk about from all things gambling, right? We're going to dig into against the spread. We'll talk about over-unders, get into as many of these props as we can, even though as of this recording on Wednesday at noon, there are still so many of these props that have not been posted yet. So we'll kind of give you some guidelines, how to be able to try and follow some of those or how we forecast that. And then I have something that uh, a note that I'll hit on with, with confidence pool stuff as it relates to, to these two games, we'll talk a little bit of live betting, whatever, all over the place. A reminder before we begin, you must be 21 years old or older to gamble. Please gamble responsibly and within your limits. If you need assistance, please call 1-800-522-4700. Marler, you will be gambling responsibly on the Sugar Bowl. Weird Sugar Bowl matchup. Really, mm-hmm. really weird to have number three, Texas, who, by the way, four and a half point favorite against number two, Washington, in the semifinal matchup. That is on Monday New Year's Day, 8.45 Eastern on ESPN. And I'm going to say that, look, we'll, we'll start with a little over-under. Over-under, 9 o'clock, that game kicks off. Take the over. Oh, over. You might be able to take the over in 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 central time zone, Connor. It, it is like, like, we were just talking this off air. The, the last time this setup was happening, right, was, I believe, 2017. And it was when it was Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson. Clemson was the one seed. Georgia OU was the two and three seed out in the Rose Bowl. That's like one of the greatest Rose Bowls of all time. It goes to double overtime. And, and that Sugar Bowl didn't start until probably 930. I don't think it's going to be as bad, mainly because that clock is going to be running a lot in, in the Rose Bowl. Yes, uh, probably will be. One would think. I, I don't think. And we'll get to some of the the over-unders and, and just game flow in general with the as it relates to to the Rose Bowl, but would be very surprised if we get scoring that rivals what we had with Oklahoma yeah. and Georgia in that game. As it relates to this game, over-under is 63 and a half. That is a lot. Big, big number for a playoff game. Consecutive years that these teams, Texas and Washington, are facing off in a bowl game, which does not yeah. happen very often. Last year, this was the Alamo Bowl. There's a game Washington won 27 to 20. A lot has changed since then. We are no longer talking about Sark as the guy that lost his mind on that poor security guard that made the unfortunate decision to put his hands on the Texas head coach. My God. Oh, gosh. Chills. Uh, we are instead talking about potentially one of the all time great redemption stories in college football history as a result mm-hmm. of what he's done. To get Texas to this point, to a college football playoff, possibly more. These teams are a combined 25-1 and since facing off in San Antonio last year. Vegas believes that Texas should at least be favored to avenge that loss. How do you see this this spread looking, knowing that Texas is a a 4.5-point favorite, given all the things that have been said and written about the Longhorns this year? So... 
you hit on so many good points already. I, 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 I love Sark, and you know that. As, as a guy, you can see the sign in the background as a big Bama guy. I think Sarkeesian is the greatest offensive mind in all of football at, at, at any level. I, I just think he's so creative, and he's so good at getting his playmakers the ball in creative ways, too. Um, when you talk about the over-under, right, we'll start there because it's at 63.5. So what you're basically saying in this game is if Texas is favored by 4.5, Vegas is saying this is probably going to be like a 34-30 to 30 type game. Um, Texas being favored, I think is interesting because I think by kickoff, you'll probably see both of the lower seed teams be the favorite, uh, in, in those, uh, from like a betting odds standpoint, mm. I, I, it could be wrong with that. I just think it's just, you know, it's probably what's going to end up happening, but Vegas thing the line here, it, it does, it does a lot of things for me when I think of Texas, you brought up the fact they're 25 and one along with Washington since that rematch last year, that one loss came with 15 seconds to go in a rivalry game in a neutral site. So they are a very good team. The thing with Texas that I don't think people understand, um, just because it's such a surface-level thing for college football fans to watch, is we talk about Texas, we talk about the offense. We talk about Quinn Ewers. We talk about Sarkeesian. We talk about, you know, Jatavian Washington. We talk about – or Jatavian Sanders, I mean. We talk about um, Xavier Worthy. We talk about A.D. Mitchell. All those things. Um, that defense for the Longhorns is one of the most overlooked and underrated – units i think in the entire country to no fault of their own it's just the fact that we talk about texas the same way we talk about washington mainly with how good that offense could be i think texas should be i don't know if i think that texas is going to be espn just going off in the background here um i don't know if texas is it like i, I don't know if this is going to be as high scoring of a game as people think on paper Interesting, because you're right about the Texas defense. They're fifth in the country against the run. They have been mm -hmm. rock solid. If Texas is going to be back, it will be because of that run defense and what they've done in the trenches to be able to step up and look like a national championship type team. The, the comp for Washington is 2022 TCU. And if you're yeah. wondering why is, why is Washington a four-and-a-half-point underdog in this game, they're, they're the team that has won, what, like 20 consecutive games? I mean, they have uh -huh. just been uh, seven in a row to end last season, obviously 13-0 start. They get over the, you know, the I, I don't want to call it get over the Oregon hump, but they, they, they felt like they were doubted as the underdog in that game yeah. in the rematch in the Pac-12 championship. But the comp for, for 2022 TCU makes a lot of sense, and it made sense coming into the season knowing how many veterans they were going to have not having those key losses to the NFL draft. And they have followed the TCU script this yeah. season. The last time that Washington played in a game decided by more than 10 points was September 23rd. That is. That's wild. That was the first day of fall. With that right? offense. Yeah. Yeah. I, so that that is probably setting the stage. The fact that they have won nine consecutive games by 10 points or less. That is you could look at that in a couple of ways, right? Does that mean that they are just extremely comfortable playing in close games like what TCU was last year when they run the fire right. drill against Baylor and everybody's like, whoa, this team, just for whatever reason, they continue to find a way? Or does it mean that they are playing with fire and they will eventually suffer a fate similar to TCU who ran into the buzzsaw that was Georgia in 65-7 to happened? Which side do you lean more towards as it relates to Washington? Well, Georgia's not in this playoff. So that I think is good for everybody. That is, that is something I think it would be – because like you're right. like That is a buzzsaw. But it's funny that you brought that up because that is the exact comp I was thinking. And I thought I was going to be the smart one to say it and be like, Connor, get this. No, it's a perfect, perfect example. And more so than anything, that TCU team last year, I remember joking around – like, what did they do to the committee? Because there was four straight weeks where they played ranked opponents, and they were an underdog in all four games, and they won. All they did was win throughout the entire year, and then they lose in a close one in the Big 12 championship game when all the hay was kind of in the barn for them to get to the playoff in the first place. That team was a really, really good team that was doubted all year long. Washington, not only were they doubted in a rematch in the game they won, they were a near double-digit un underdog to Oregon, right? And, and all they've done – is show up each week, and I think that people kind of discredit them. You heard the committee say this, too. The, the, the committee kind of discredited them because it's like, oh, the way Oregon's winning. And it's like, all right, well, Washington, they're not winning by a bunch, and maybe you think they should because that offense is so prolific and, and high scoring, but, like, they're still winning every single week, and they're playing an arguably tougher schedule than Oregon. 
I, I tend to lean on the fact that I do feel like it's 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 TCU, but I I lean more on this has more of a potential team of destiny than a team of running into a buzzsaw. Like they're they're no one's getting beat in this playoff sixty five to seven for one. But I but I just feel like that. Why I would hope not. Maybe Michigan, hopefully. Um, but I think that when when you talk about Washington, man. They've done it in so many different ways, and that's the part that's like so so incredible to me. Is we look at them a lot like Texas. They're passing the ball, Michael Penix Jr. and how great he's been, Heisman finalist, finished number two overall in the voting, all that kind of stuff. They've got weapons everywhere, but we've seen them, you know, hold Oregon State to zero points in the second half of that game. Um, or like I'm sorry, I think they actually they scored zero points in the second half and still found a way to win on defense. Big clutch throws from Michael Penix. Great run game uh, with former Mississippi State running back, whose name, of course, is escaping me. But like Dylan Johnson, they yeah. get it done in several different ways throughout the year when it matters most. And I think that's something that we probably don't give Washington enough credit for. If you're betting Washington, or if you're just a believer in the Huskies and you think Team of Destiny type vibes, I would still probably hedge a little bit and take the four and a half because mm-hmm. there is some history that would suggest that Washington could be in a tough spot as it relates to roster talent in in the playoff era. So right. since since 247 Sports Talent Composite Rankings began in 2015, the more talented team in terms of roster talent is 13 and three in semifinal games. This year's semifinal rankings in terms of the the talent composite number 26 washington number six texas and then you've got number one alabama against number 14 michigan i think people would be surprised that michigan is outside of the top 10 also worth noting with the tcu comp tcu was one of those three lesser talented teams that won a semifinal game but worth noting as well that teams outside the top 10 in roster talent are two in 10 in playoff games. And both of those wins came against teams that were also outside of the top 10 in roster Mm. talent with TCU Michigan last year, Michigan was outside the top 10 in roster talent. And then when Clemson beat Oklahoma in the semifinal 2015, both of those teams were outside of the top 10 in terms of roster talent. And just in case you're getting real, real aggressive and you think Washington Winning a college football playoff national championship, that's kind of what I'm listening to this, hoping that you're going to give me something yeah. pushing me in that direction. This will not push you in that direction. No team outside the top 10 has won a college football playoff. Michigan, yeah. Washington, in terms of roster talent, those are the two teams in this field that are outside of the top 10. It's changing with the transfer portal and the reliance of that. And Florida State might have been able to buck some of those trends. They entered the year between TCU and Nebraska in those in those rankings, which is really interesting. But does that factor into any decisions that you have as you approach this game and just trying to pick a winner, trying to pick a side and figure out what's the better play here? No, I think, honestly, this is one of those games where I think that it, if you – both teams are really good. I think this is the first time looking at a playoff, and, and maybe I'll be completely wrong about this because the way the semifinals have played off or played out so far throughout like the previous nine years, it seems, is more often than not, there's a blowout in the semifinals or maybe in yep. both. And I, and I don't think we're going to get that this year. I think this is the most evenly matched four teams we've ever seen in the playoff. I just just from from what I what I look at, and I think that there's not there's not somebody that's like you know that that meme of the dragon head where it's like, there's two normal looking dragons and like the one with his tongue out, like looks like an idiot. There's not a situation like that. There's no Cincinnati, like 2021. There's no like Washington from, from 2016, who was also an underrated team. I think that this is a game where when I look at, like you really dig into the numbers and you dig into like tape and watch the two teams. Like I, I it, it feels like the more knowledgeable you are about the team, the more confident you'd be in it and what's going to take, who's going to win and what it's going to take to win this game. Washington, Everyone, I think, like the 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 casual fan, as Josh Pay puts it, Washington, Texas, can be high scoring. Probably not going to be any defense. These two teams are going to do this and that, blah, blah blah. Both teams can play defense really well. What's interesting, I think, about Texas is that if you look at where people think that they're going to be exploited by Washington's offense, and what Washington does, and that offense with with Caleb DeBoer um, and the offensive coordinator is they throw the ball on average of like sixty three percent of the time going into this season, right? Like it is a pretty massive disparity between their their pass and run plays. Not as much this year, but that has been like their their calling card in the past. Texas is 94th in the country in pass yards per game allowed, right? 
they're also 30th in yards per attempt allowed. Like there's like you have to dig through the numbers to really find like a weakness. I think for either efficiency team. is more important. Yeah, right. Exactly. And and I, I do think the talent. I think that there's comparable talent on both sides, especially from the starting standpoint. Like I, I think Texas obviously has more talent and probably more depth there. But I also think there's a lot to be said for when you talk about a coach being in big moments. We don't think about that with Caleb DeBoer as much. But like that guy, that dude's a winner. He's just won everywhere he's gone. Like everywhere he's been, they've won. You can't really say the same for Steve Sarkeesian except for in a couple outlier years. A few things. Caleb DeBoer at my alma mater, Indiana, which I am there right today. Shout out home field. Shout out my guy. Will Ogburn, my co-host, Saturday Down South Podcast, who got me this sweatshirt last year, something I, I love very much. There is a, a certain feeling of, well, if this coach hasn't been there before, how can you really bet on them to win a national championship? The stat that would buck that is the, there has been one coach who has won a national championship in the playoff era and his first appearance in the playoff. Do you know who that coach is? Ed Ordron. Exactly. So yeah. mm, it's kind of and purple and yellow, purple and gold colors. Exactly. It's kind of tough to to necessarily say that. And I, I, I truly think that what Sark did for that 2020 Alabama team in the national championship and the way that he schemed open Devontae Smith, who had 12 catches for 214 or 215 yards and three touchdowns in the first half of that game. Yeah. He's got tough Borland somehow lined up against him like that's how you know how i feel about up. that oh yeah i mean goodness <laughs> gracious the mismatch of the century like yep. the way that he showed up for a big time game like that with total autonomy on that side of the ball and schemed guys open to me that sort of should put to bed the notion of like oh well what's he gonna do on this stage he's only ever coached in a holiday bowl or an alamo bowl. right right so to me, I, I would almost put that aside and wouldn't necessarily say that's that's going to be make or break for him. If Texas loses, it's not going to be because, oh, well, Sark, he just doesn't have that big big game experience. Being an Alabama offensive coordinator has got to be as pressure-packed of, of an assistant yeah. job as there is in the sport. Question, I meant, to, I meant to ask you this earlier. Did you omit Ryan Grubb's name, the Washington offensive coordinator, because he turned down Bama? No, but here's the thing. Let's let me finally get this off my chest because I haven't had a, a, a platform to say it on in it, like maybe ever. Of course, he turned down the Bama job. Like people, people use that as like, oh man, like that's not good for Alabama. No, like if you're that guy and you're saying like I'm gonna go be under like just the 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 smallest microscope possible. I'm gonna be under scrutiny from all the fans, no matter what. Coming off a season where they had top ten offense under Bill O'Brien and the fans hated him from day one. Then you get to go back with one of the most veteran rosters in the country. Listen, shut up, Connor. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I honestly just forgot his name. I think he's a tremendous offensive coordinator. I will say, going back to, to the Texas part of it, um, I, I, this is a game I've kind of flip-flopped on like throughout like like some of like looking at picks. And on radio this morning, I think I said Washington. Looking at some of the stuff now, I think like what's scary about with Sark and what you mentioned, and Sark, again, best offensive of mind in football, in my opinion. You brought the Devontae Smith thing. Devontae Smith had an, one of the probably the most remarkable season for a receiver maybe ever besides Larry Fitzgerald. I, and he won the Heisman, all that kind of stuff. That game, what's what's astounding about that game is that Jalen Waddell was like coming back from a broken leg or broken ankle and, and, and not even remotely close to being the same person. I know they had Najee Harris. Um but Devontae Smith at, at times seemed like he was the offense. Like they, you know, they had a lot of talent there. He, what he's got to work with this year with Texas and what's so scary about Texas. And you saw it in the Alabama game, right? You've got Jordan Whittington when he wants to show up a former five-star. I think he had five catches for 73 yards against Bama. Jatavian Sanders, one of the most like, under underrated overlooked tight ends in the country. Um, that guy is dangerous. And then again, A.D. Mitchell in big time games. Yep. My gosh. And then, oh, by the way, the, like the bell cow and like the, the prize, prize guy have all the receivers there, Xavier Worthy, who can, who can hurt you in so many different facets. And I'm not even getting into the run game. That's what worries me about having to defend all of that on the field at the same time. That is one of the reasons why Texas checks the most boxes mm -hmm. of any of the remaining playoff teams of a national champ. And that doesn't yeah. mean Texas is going to win at all. It just means if you're looking at the profile and you're looking at the history of this, this system, 
wherein we are now asking teams to win 14 games, 13 or 14 games, depending on who you are, and win a national championship in the 14 playoff era, there are certain boxes that you look for a team to, to check. And having right. those, those pass catchers that are picked in the first two rounds, you go back, you look at every one of those national champs, that's what they have. And even Georgia 2021, like, all right, well, they, they still have Brock Bowers, freshman Brock Bowers, yeah. who's still playing at, at an absurd level. George Pickens was active, although not the full version of George Pickens. And, oh, by the way, right. A.D. Mitchell, who's being mocked in right. all of these. So, like, that was a team that we're, I was kind of like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe they won't have, like, that those future first-round type guys. Like, even, you know, 2018 Clemson, Mike Williams, I mean – like we're still talking about, uh, we don't need to talk too much more about 2018 Clemson. Um, but like those, those are one of those things. And Texas has that being able to to yeah. be that good uh, against the run, averaging, you know, what they do from an offensive standpoint, you got to average at least 35 points per game in the playoff era. It says to, to win a national championship. And it's more about, you know, the, the efficiency in, in all of those, in all those areas. So you look at it on paper and I, I would say Texas gives you that best chance to right. be able to to win a national championship based on those, you know, checking those boxes. But there is a chaos scenario, a doomsday yeah, scenario as it relates to gambling that we have to talk about. And it's really, really interesting. I'm curious if you know where okay. I'm going with this. I'm, I do not. The doomsday scenario for a live bet on this game. If Quinn Ewers goes down. Oh, my God. If he suffers an injury, Malik Murphy hit the portal he's off to do yeah. back of quarterback for Texas who filled in admirably. And if Texas does win a national championship, give that guy a ring. He absolutely deserves it. And don't give me mm-hmm. this crap, but Oh, we opted out. He had hit the portal. That's what you have to do. If you're in his spot, don't blame the kid right. whatsoever. We would have Arch Manning trying to lead Texas to a national championship and Arch yeah. for all the things that have been said and written about him. He's completed two passes at the collegiate level. Okay. I would be so intrigued by what the odds makers do with a live line, knowing how decorated Arch is, knowing how many people will probably want to like, oh my God, I could bet Texas, you know, Texas money line live or, or something like that. And knowing that at the same time, Arch is not Malik Murphy in terms of experience, no. based on the limited sample size that we've seen so far. How would you, Chris Marler, treat that if all of a sudden oh my God. Quinn Ewers gets a Dallas so Turner and goes down? I would put all the money on Washington. Like, I, like <laughs> this is Quinn Ewer's team, right? And, and we saw them struggle. Like, like, listen, what Malik Murphy was in for, I think it was part of BYU, correct? I think Iowa State as well. Iowa State, TCU, I think, like, or maybe not. He wasn't in Iowa State, but it was BYU, Kansas State, and TCU. They did fine in those games. Like, like the, the, the BYU game is like the outlier because it's 35 to 6. But they had, like, multiple goal line stands, I think they had a punt return for a touchdown. That one, I think it's one we're, we're worthy got. But Kansas State three point win, TCU three point win. Those were at least their closer games that they played, right? If this is a "what have you done for me lately" type thing, and, and I know how decorated Arch is, I think that a lot of that is because of that last name. And that's all I'll say about that. And we we like we're not going to sit here and go in about a spring game and be like, "Oh my God, Arch sucks" because he couldn't do this in practice. But there's a reason why Arch Manning, who is one of the highest-ranked recruits in the history of recruiting, is your third-string quarterback for a majority of the year, especially in this day and age of NIL, where it's like, like you you might want to make sure you hang or in the transfer portal, or you might want to hang on to that guy and and, and elevate him to the number two just to be on the safe side. I I I don't want that to happen. The last thing we want to see as college football fans is, is is Quinn Ewers go down, but that is a nightmare scenario, and that that is if if you are somebody like me, like in the past, at least when you're not as if you're just super gung ho about a certain team and you've got a bunch of your money on, on one side of it, that is a nightmare scenario. You're right about finding yourself like that. That would be the worst case, worst case scenario. Unless we get, Miller went out. <laughs> we wouldn't get a, a world in which Vegas would, they would take certain Quinn Ewers props off the table. If that were to happen, no, no they would, they would leave all in those the game. Yeah, they would. I mean, they would. You just lose your money. So let's let's say you're like, all right, I'm taking the over on Quinn Ewers passing yards, taking over on Quinn Ewers passing touchdown, something like that. He goes down in the middle of the first quarter of this yeah. game. You just lose that bet. You just lose. That's just a loss. That yeah. sucks. 
It's definitely <laughs> happened to me before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, fingers yeah. crossed that that doesn't happen. Um, no. Hopefully both these quarterbacks, because it is a great quarterback matchup and seeing these two guys who have had very different career trajectories, mm-hmm. both of whom started in the big 10. People forget that uh, playing yeah. on this stage. Uh, it, it should be great theater and it should be a fun, fun semifinal matchup. I have a confidence pool thought um, okay. that, that relates to just the, the playoff and the national championship Make the two playoff games and the title game as close as you possibly can to your three biggest games if you are doing a confidence pool. Okay. Why? Why? Like, why would you? Aren't these going to be great games that we have small spreads? Doesn't that, 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 that kind of goes against what we usually do in confidence pools? Chances are, if you're in a confidence pool, you're not in first place. It's just probably not. And you're probably going to want to have those points to be able to pick an underdog and make up the difference against the first place team, right? Mm-hmm. If it's just going to come down to that and you're like, all right, he's going to pick one team. I'm going to pick the other. He or she could be a woman at the top of your confidence pool. Don't mean They won the, the SES pod two years ago. Exactly. So you know what? There's probably a woman at the top of your confidence pool. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. Uh, but even if you are in first place, having these points at your disposal puts you in the power position, right? Because you mm-hmm. get to say, okay, well, yeah, I, I think, I think that Texas is going to win this game. I'm just going to pick Texas and, and hope for the best. And I'm not going to have anybody that's going to be able to make up ground on me by doing that. And I'm just going to pick the team that I have most confidence in. But I realize that there are exceptions to this. Maybe something like Georgia beating Florida State is a game that you want to have 40 confidence points on or yeah. something like that. You want to put that in the top. Oregon, Liberty, maybe that's another one where you're like, God, I, I need to put as many as, as humanly possible on that. But outside of that... Make sure that these final three games, the two playoff games and the national championship, are high 30s, low 40s type games in confidence pools. Also, it feels like this year we're going to have a lot of people with their highest confidence points on the winner of the Michigan-Bama game to win the national championship. You do that because if you did that for Texas-Washington, but Washington pulls off the upset as a four and a half point dog, you're like, crap, now I've got to go with Washington to win the national championship. So, and yeah. you don't really have a choice with that. So uh, just something to keep in mind. If you're trying to figure this out, you're trying to set yourself up, you know, going into this, this home stretch of bowl season. Yeah. Is there anything else, any other, any props that stand out, any, any betting strategies that we should take into this one before we move on to the Rose Bowl? So no, and I'll give you, we'll do a prediction, right? Um, I, I think Texas first team to score. Uh, you know I love that. Um, yep. First team to score, they are minus 125. Getting Texas for the first – look, listen, Sark on script. Sark on script. You've heard me say it a bazillion times. Listen to to Saturday Football Uncensored. He's just one of the best. And I know that, that Washington's good as well. I just feel like that we are overlooking how good that defense is for Texas when you look at some of these numbers. twenty, They're top 25 in, in yards per game allowed. They're top 15 in scoring defense. They're 13th, actually. Um Third in the country in rush yards per game allowed. Fifth, like you said, in, in rush yards per carry. Um, they're eighth in interceptions as well. So I, I think that two of the things that I would look for, I love Washington. I'm sorry, I love Texas to score first because, um, I, like I said, Scar- uh, Sark on script. I do like Texas to win the game. I would probably take the, the money line, even though it's 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 you know a four point spread right now, uh, and the juice is actually on Washington to cover that. Um, and the only other one I could think of, this is this is kind of I feel bad for even saying this. Um, I've, this kind of feels lame, but Michael Penix over a half interception. So he'll throw one interception in the game strictly because I just feel like this Texas defense is going to get after him. The, I think maybe the biggest matchup we haven't even touched on it, Connor, is that Texas D line going up against Washington's O line and getting pressure on the quarterback. One of the reasons why they were so dominant in that win against Alabama, they gave up zero sacks to two, two edge rushers that led the, the country in, in, uh, what do you call it? In pressures with Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner, zero sacks allowed in that game. They got five sacks on their defensive lines, uh, and they barely ever brought a blitz. It was just beating them up front. The Joe Moore Award winners uh, from Washington. I wonder yep. how that's going to look like. They're going to try to get the ball out early. I'm sure. There's so many great matchups here. I do like Texas to win. Like I said, my favorite bet would be the money line. Texas score first, and if you're looking for maybe a flyer, take take Penix uh, over an interception. Is there an A.D. Mitchell touchdown prop? In this oh, that's line. such a good one, dude. That is such a good one. Player to score the first touchdown for Texas, he has the best odds. 
plus yeah, 275. Um, so, and, and yeah, this is actually really good. Let me look real quick. I, I, I we have rushing props, um, receiving props. I don't see his receiving props up yet. Um, so I'm sure those will be coming soon. But yeah, I, I just I, I think that that's a really really good spot for them. I think there's gonna be more that'll come out this from this from Texas because you still actually don't even have um, what do you call it? Some of the uh, the props that, that would be up um, for for Jonathan Brooks as well. But I, I do like that to, for him to score anytime touchdown score. We've we've seen those as well. I think that's a good one. And if you're a Georgia fan that's just watching this game angrily, um, just emotionally hedge and just bet on A.D. Mitchell to, to score a touchdown yeah. uh, in this game. Maybe go. not the total yardage. That hasn't been his necessarily been his thing throughout his career. But when it's playoff time, he is uh, he's ready to go. There's no doubt yeah. about it. All right, Rose Bowl. Or do I have to – oh, i got to give a prediction. I'm, I'm taking Texas yeah. to win. You, you know that I'm yeah. taking Texas to win. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's going to be Texas uh, 35-21. So Texas yeah. covers uh, as well against Washington. Hey, sports fans. We've got an exciting offer exclusively for new users of ESPN Bet. When you join, be sure to enter the promo code SOUTH during sign-up to unlock an additional $50 in your betting account. That's right. You can wager on your favorite sports and receive up to $250 in bonus bets when you use the promo code SOUTH. Please remember, you must be 21 years old to participate in sports betting. We encourage responsible gambling within your means. If you ever need assistance or support, please reach out to 1-800-522-4700. Join the action today and make the most of this fantastic offer. Okay, Rose Bowl. Michigan, two-point favorites as of this recording, Wednesday at 12.45 on the East Coast. Against number four, Alabama, this game, Monday, New Year's Day, 5 o'clock Eastern. Marler were all, already have gone through, what, like six things of deodorant, a couple. Deodorant, things. fireball, all the above. It'll just be a just a panic attack in a, in, a, in a bottle. I can't wait. We are a year removed from Nick Saban arguing that his team deserved a playoff spot as a two-loss team with nothing better than victories against eight and four teams, all because he said Bama would have been favored against three teams in the field. Now, Bama enters as a rare that, underdog. By the way, that PR person has has no, is no longer with the university, just to be very clear. The Same person who was in it. charge of that was one of the dumbest ideas I have ever seen. Hey, man, why don't you go on Fox, the, the, the one channel that doesn't cover Alabama games and arguably doesn't like the SEC, and go argue your point. And somebody was like, that's a good idea. Go do it. Joel Klatt, uh, that was on uh, – that was up with Joe Klatt six months later, too. That's that Saban actually doubled Don't down real. on that and still continue to say that on Fox Airways. Yeah. Um, but Bama as an underdog, it's very rare. You you probably know all the numbers that I'm about to, to throw out mm -hmm. here. Since the start of 2009, this is just the okay. sixth time that Alabama has been an underdog. 2009 SEC Championship against Florida. 2015 game at Georgia. 2021 SEC Championship against Georgia, 2021 national championship against Georgia, 2023 SEC championship against Georgia, and now the Rose Bowl against Michigan. Bama has won outright as an underdog four of those five instances in the last yeah. 15 years in which they have been an underdog. Knowing that, is there a little boost for Bama money line? Would you take the plus two for Bama just to be safe or are you, Chris Marler, the biggest Bama fan I have ever met in my entire life, are you laying the two for Michigan and emotionally hedging? So here's the thing, Connor. I've been emotionally hedging. You've accused me of this for five years. And I <laughs> genuinely, in my heart of hearts, do not feel like I've done it. The, the Clemson thing, that started with Clemson in 2018. When I went out there, and I was like, I think Bama loses this game because I don't think that their offensive line is going to be able to hang with the Clemson's D-line. You're right. That wasn't the only reason they lost that game. But I will say now. This season, I have fully leaned into emotionally hedging, and it has worked out. It has worked wonders. Picked him to lose against Ole Miss. I, yep. The Texas thing, I said since the summer, I just I, and I gave out all the reasons why. I said, don't be surprised if they're down thirteen to three in the first quarter. They were down fourteen to three. I said, don't be surprised if they're they're losing at halftime. They come back a little bit in the second half, but they're going to lose by ten. All those things happened, but I picked him to lose to Ole Miss. I think I picked him to lose to Tennessee. I think I picked him to lose to LSU. Definitely picked him to lose to Georgia. Um, so you, know, you thought and, they were going seven and five this year, essentially. I, just, I was, I was after the USF game. 
my level of confidence in this team was absolutely shattered. Um, it has been one of the most fun seasons as a Bama fan. And listen, if you're a Michigan fan, I, I'll apologize in advance because I, I'm, I'm, I am going to dote a little bit on this team. This has been one of the most fun years I've ever had as being a fan of a team and, and, and being able to cover it for like a job. You know, I think maybe the objectivity is skewed against Bama for me more than anything because it's it's been such an uphill battle. We've never seen this before. It's, a, it's not like 2014. It's not like 2015. This is the earliest they've ever lost in a season at Alabama. I think the closest comp you could say is 2015 because you lost that game in September to Ole Miss at home, um, you know, and they were down by a lot in, in, in a lot of that game. Uh, and then you had to kind of climb back out there. You had a lot of questions at quarterback. You started a guy in game one that was different than, than or sorry, in, in the game you lost than, um, than like the following week. I, I have had so much fun watching this team grow. And I think what's really odd about this is so many people last year had this idea of Saban being washed because it's too old. And it's a young man's game with how the calendar works in college football. And I think there's a lot of merit to that in terms of it's difficult if you're in your 70s to, to be doing all these things and have to constantly be in the portal and, and re-recruiting your team and then recruiting other kids, all that kind of stuff. But what's what I've talked to Jim Dunaway, a good friend of your show and ours, and, and, and one of the things he said I thought was very interesting was what's rejuvenated Saban more than anything is he's had to start coaching again, like really, really coaching this team and, and coaching these guys up and, and, and Jalen Miller and the defense and all those things. And it's just been really fun to watch them get better seemingly every week. And they've had some scares, but it's been a really, really good, good season. Um, I don't want to give away my pick yet. Let's save it. But save it. I, yeah, go ahead. So if you can hear all those things and you could say, mm-hmm. is, is this team – Maybe a little bit cut from the same cloth as 2014 Ohio State. Tina loses early mm-hmm. on in the season. A quarterback change. I mean, call it a change if you want at Bama. Jalen Milrow has turned into a different quarterback than the guy that we saw yeah. early in the season. So I guess it's it's different in that way. But this team that just looks like, man, they lose early in the season and they just they lose a non-conference play and then they just figure it out. And right. there are probably a lot of people approaching this saying, I'm just going to blindly bet Bama and I'm going to take them at every turn in the playoff. And maybe, maybe there are plenty of SEC fans that are, that are approaching it that way and just saying, you know what? I think there are, I I'm just going to blindly, t- whatever, whatever is on the table for them. I am now buying into the notion that if you pick against Bama, like what happened in 2009, like what happened in 2012, like what happened in 2015 when Bama wasn't the pick to win the SEC in those seasons. And yeah. what do they do? They won the SEC. They won a national championship. This could be another one of those years. They've already won the SEC. Will they win a national championship? So much of that. And if you are just blindly betting Bama, you're probably also putting a lot of faith in Jalen Milrow. Can we talk mm-hmm. about some of these these Jalen Milrow props um, as it yes. relates to, these, to this game? I think it's interesting. I know the Michigan defense has been rock solid. Mm-hmm. I also know the list of opposing quarterbacks that Michigan has faced is not rock solid. As my guy no. Will would say, basura, basura. <laughs> Trash. Easily the best quarterback that Michigan has faced this year is Talia Tungabailoa. Yep. Really nice player. All-time leading passer in Big Ten history. Still wild, yeah. But if that's easily the best quarterback that your team has faced, that's telling. That's really telling. And if you're saying, oh, what about C.J. Stroud? I wouldn't necessarily count last season towards this last season. No Michigan defense. Also, if you're trying to make a comp and say like, Oh, well, you know, they stopped CJ Stroud. So that means they're going to stop Jalen Milrow. Very different players. I think Jalen Milrow. CJ Stroud had like one game of positive rushing yards going into the, the game against uh, Georgia last year. Yeah. Different player. I, I think Jalen Milrow has more similarities to Max Duggan than he does CJ yeah. Stroud. If you're talking about what they like to do, how they like to be able to move the chains. That's probably a better comp. Michigan has faced two top 50 passing offenses. One was led by Salia Tungabaloa. The other was led by Kyle McCord, who is now in the transfer portal. Well, actually, he's at Syracuse. So yeah. that's that's telling. And by the way, both of those teams threw for 240 yards. And I know that Bama doesn't have a top 50 passing offense. So if you're like, oh, well, Bama's, you know, the, Bama's not particularly good throwing the ball either. I, I would push back on that. If you're mm-hmm. doubting the passing abilities, since November, Jalen Milrow, 
one turnover, one interception on 118 passing attempts, 19 passing plays of 20 yards, 10.2 yards per attempt, 67% passing since the calendar turn to November, which J.J. McCarthy on the other side, since he had the calendar turn to November. Oh, I love this. This is a fun game. One touchdown pass, one game with 150 passing yards. Like Milrow, also exactly 118 passing attempts since then, seven yards per attempt, 11 passing plays of 20 yards, only two passing plays of 30 yards. Jalen Milrow props, though, are probably going to be the play if you're just saying Bama's going to win this football game. Yeah. What's What stands out to you with him as it relates to that? Well, one, I just want to go back to one thing you said about J.J. McCarthy real quick. Because I, I, I brought this up a couple weeks ago. His first seven games when he was a Heisman contender, maybe a front runner in some people's eyes, he had 17 total touchdowns. And he was averaging 240 yards per game. And then you can even include the game where he had the four touchdowns against Michigan State because, you know, Michigan State's a really good team. Um, he's had one touchdown in his last five games. There's, a, there's, a, there's two reasons you could point at, and maybe it's a combination of both. But you had one very, very famous assistant coach that was on the sidelines for and, and other people's sidelines for the first seven games. Who spells his first name correctly with two N's and an O. We must point that we out. love. Yep. Um, but since Connor Stallions has left, and Michigan has had to actually play somebody with a pulse. Let's not forget, this is the second year in a row where they go into the game against Ohio State with a, with a strength of schedule outside the top 50, yet a, a concrete solid ranking in the top three, right? Like, this is a team that didn't play anybody the entire season until the month of November, and it just so happens, like, they finally start facing top 40 defenses, which they had to do against Penn State, Iowa, Maryland, shockingly enough, and Ohio State, and all of a sudden the numbers fall off the map, right? You get, if I, Michigan fans have given me every reason why that's happened and, and every excuse in the book of why it's happened. I don't care what the reason is. If it's not Connor Stallions, if it's just because you play tougher schedules and tougher competition, that's fine too. Because what you're walking into in Pasadena is going to be a really, really good defensive unit. Now, going back to the actual question you asked, Jalen Milrow, he has been phenomenal. Like you just said, the month of November, only one interception. Like people, people look at him, and I think they still have this idea that he's he's not a great quarterback. A lot of people, like at Michigan fans, I think I've seen a couple of videos um, that have come out about how how he's like he's just kind of like a probably the worst quarterback in this entire playoff, right? Um, if you're sleeping on Jalen Milrow, or if you're dancing on that grave, I've said it before about Bama, you better dance lightly. Because that guy is, the moment he steps on the field, I don't care who's on the other sideline. The moment he steps on the field, he's the best athlete on the field on either sideline. And I think that he is going to have to have a big game. The thing where I the prop bet that comes out the most, and this is not going to like, Bama's aren't going to like this. It's Jalen Milrow interceptions. And I hate to be that negative dude that just said the same thing with Penix, but also I'm going to say it here with Milrow. He's only turned the ball over once since, since November started, right? You look at Michigan as a defense, these numbers they have, number one scoring margin, number one scoring defense, number one in passing touchdowns allowed. They've only allowed seven total passing touchdowns all year. You look at how many interceptions they've had, they've had 16. Like, I mean, being plus nine pass T to INT ratio is crazy. I don't think it's far-fetched to say that Milrow might have an interception, and here's why. It's because you talk about trying to get things going against a very solid unit, trying to get the run game. I, I could see some frustration from Milrow if they're not able to connect on a couple big plays, if they're not able to move the chains effectively in the first half. Maybe he gets frustrated and throws one. He's had slow starts, though. It was mm -hmm. a slow start against Georgia. Very I, slow I was, start. I, I was like, all right – the the couple times it looked like he might have had an open receiver early in that game. He was just kind of off. I think George's coverage was really good early on in that really game. Good. And yeah, you look at the final line, you see 13 for 23, and you're like, okay, that doesn't really impress you. Move the needle. Go ask Georgia how tough it was to stop that guy when the game was on the line. There's a reason why yeah. Bama led for the final, what, 43 minutes of that game. And when Georgia mm -hmm. had to have a stop in those final couple minutes, Jalen Milrow just like, oh, nope, I'm going to hit it with my legs. And I'm going to make sure that we move the chains. I'm going to make sure you don't get the ball back. I'm going to make sure the yeah. two-time defending national champs that have won 29 consecutive games do not have a chance to get that type of confidence for a yeah. last-minute drive. And that's what that kid did. And he, he mm -hmm. has been so much better than he was early in the season when he was throwing interceptions against air. I mean, yeah. some of those predetermined reads that, that you're just like, 
oh, so does do teams just have to put zone coverage on you and, and you're just going to collapse? And the guy that he has become has been so different because, I mean, he's seen no shortage of zone coverage since then. You know you can't just play mat, man coverage and turn your back on Jalen Milrow. They're going to drop nine. Shout out Auburn. Mm-hmm. You're going to do what you can. Um, I think that there is probably <laughs> – it took you a second to catch on that By the way, Connor, real quick on that. People don't give this enough credit. I think Bama fans do, but other people don't. That's a design play, and he read it perfectly and then put the ball in a spot where only his guy could get it. And I think that that's something from even that play people are like, he's a very good downfield thrower. Some would argue that DJ James should have also had a chance to be able to get it as Auburn's top corner. He just took one wrong best. step, though. Yeah, yeah. Maybe exactly. watch the ball next time instead of the man. Probably, probably. But if you're betting Michigan in this game and you're saying, I just like Michigan, this is their their year, Michigan against the world, this is how I want to mm-hmm. look at this. I don't think Bama is quite as good as what this win streak down the stretch has suggested. You're probably taking the over on Jalen Milrow turnovers, and you're probably mm-hmm. saying that Michigan wins an ugly game, an ugly, mm-hmm. low-scoring type game. The over-under for this game is 44-and-a-half. Here's something interesting that I, I, I think needs to be kept in mind as it relates to playoff games. We've had 27 playoff games so far. At least 50 total points have been scored in 18 of those 27 playoff games. Nine instances in which we haven't seen a total of 50 points. Bama has been involved in six of those nine games. Yikes. If there's... Uh, the Vegas, Vegas is daring you to try and take it over in this one. They're also daring you to take Bama. Uh, they are. They really are. They are. are. I, I think. I think taking the under is is as unsexy as it is, especially when you're like, man, it's, it's five o'clock Rose Bowl. I, I, maybe I don't have a rooting interest in this game because maybe you hate both of these teams. I, I don't know. Maybe that is what talks you into taking the under. Yeah. It's like I want to see both of these teams frustrated and unhappy. I want to see Harbaugh throwing his clipboard on the sideline. I want to see yeah. Saban pulling out his hair. Maybe I'm just going to bet the under, and that's my only play. Would you advise against that? Uh, yes and no. Because I, I, I think that, that that doing that, you look at what Michigan has done, especially, and, and how good that defense has been. But you're, you're kind of discounting and discrediting how good the offenses are for, for both and how efficient they are, at least. Like a, a, like a, a points per play type situation and even a points per play margin. I think Tennessee or that's what Tennessee Michigan was like plus 13 in, in that against their opponents this year. I mean, one of the things about Michigan that, that, you know, I, I think that people hate to admit and, and I fully understand what I said about those last four games of the season. But one of the reasons why it, like the, the margins of victory were so crazy and, and how that strength of schedule looks so bad is because of how dominant they were in those games, like, like for the first seven weeks of the season, like they, like there was nobody that came close to them. Like they, they are, they are a very, very solid and fundamentally sound uh, team. Like, like, listen, I think that they have, both teams have enough offensive power firepower to take the, to take the over. I don't think that it's crazy to sit here and say like, if you, if you want to get crazy and get a teaser going. And I talk about the 10 point teasers all the time. People might not want to hear it, but like Washington plus 14 and a half. The the over of Bama Michigan at thirty four and then and then Bama plus twelve love that love thirty four um, over of thirty four because the over is forty four so if you're getting ten points you could, oh get it down ten points yeah so you know uh-huh. I, like it's there's other ways that you could allocate that if if you want to do a teaser I I don't think it's crazy to bet the under here but I really think that like like you said anytime Vegas gives you something that you just think is a gift. Okay. And betters know this everywhere. Like good betters know this everywhere. But if you're just kind of getting into it and you're like, oh, this is so obvious. This feels like free money. It's not. It's never, never free money. So I, I think that Vegas is really trying to, I don't want to say bait because that sounds bad, but they are really trying to entice that casual better to, to taking Bama and taking the, uh, the under. If Michigan wins this game, I don't think it will follow a script in which J.J. McCarthy hands the football off 32 consecutive times. I just right. don't. I, no. History, recent, distant, whatever you want to call it, has told us that that's not the way that you beat Alabama, by just sitting there and handing the football off. Quinn Ewers reminded us 
that it helps to have a quarterback with some big time you know what's JJ McCarthy mm-hmm. probably got some big time you know what's if you do you got to attack downfield you got to mm-hmm. find a way to hit on those shots when you get that one-on-one matchup over the top I don't want to saying that they're going to sit there and try and attack this Alabama secondary that's been really freaking good this year yeah I don't think they're necessarily going to want to do that because I don't think that they have those advantages on the outside. But if you are going to beat Alabama, I would assume that we're going to see multiple JJ McCarthy touchdown passes. I would think, or at least an over on, on maybe his passing yards or something like that, that if you're, if you're on the Michigan side of this and you want to parlay it into, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking, now, maybe I'm taking Michigan money line or something like that. To right, right. So I'm like, even the, the two scares me or whatever. Um, that that would be a move that I, I think the the pro Michigan crowd would probably favor as opposed to like, oh, I think Blake Corm is going to go off for 170 rushing yards in this game. I think more right. likely if Michigan were to win would be they're doing some things in the passing game and they're scheming at a, a really, really high level. Um, is there, you said you thought that Bama could end up being the favorite in this one, by the mm-hmm. time that it kicks off, how much line movement do you anticipate? And do you think that Vegas has set the line at this, hoping to get some of that last minute action from, yeah. from Bama? From a thousand Bama percent. A thousand, see people, people, and this is what Saban, you could say, didn't understand with his argument about being favored. Vegas isn't telling you, they think that this team is that much better. What Vegas is trying to do right. when they set a line is get, Fifty percent of bets on both sides, so you, they are not going to lose their ass in in like a, a, a game. I, I think that it, it feels like Vegas is begging people to take Bama, and I'm shocked that the line is still the line's crept up. I think it started at one and a half, and it got up to two and a half at one point. I think it's, it's hovering around two right now. There's still five days well, well, from the day we're recording this until like the actual game day of when it, when it goes off. I. I think Bama will be favored because I think there's going to be enough public money that comes in on Alabama because of the name. And and I know that Michigan is a is a blue blood and a brand name and all that kind of stuff. I just think that Bama people are going to take that. They 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 are more fun to watch. They have better offense. You have Nick Saban on the sideline. A lot of reasons why I think that would happen. I think that when you look at some of these props, Connor, some of the stuff that I like, um, I would stay away from the team to score first. I think one that's a really good possibility. The first score method being a field goal instead of a touchdown at plus 180, I think there's a lot of good value there. Um, like I said, this this team has kept – both these teams really have kept others out of the end zone a lot. And in Michigan, especially in the first quarter and first half of games this year. Um, you know, I, I think you brought up something earlier about J.J. McCarthy. And, and I think that that is – outside of the Auburn game, there has not been an example where it's like, oh, man, if you want, if you want room to run, you can gash this Alabama team. Auburn did some things that I don't think Michigan's offense is, is capable of doing. I will say that I think that one thing, regardless of, of, of who's there as the assistants, right? One thing I think Jim Harbaugh is guilty of is being very, very stubborn. And you saw this in the 2019 game. We, we were talking about this on the old pod. 2019 Bama, Michigan, Citrus Bowl. I was there. You was kept fun. saying, is Don Brown going to run out there with a single high safety against those receivers? And I was like, I guarantee you will. You first said the play. same thing. We, first play. First play. <laughs> Gary Jude, it was like, what are you doing? I do think there's a little bit of that stubborn arrogance from Jim Harbaugh. Of like, we're going to do this my way. We're going to win the way I know how to win. And the way we've won, because they've done that, right? You beat a top 10 Penn State team with a top 10 defense, top five defense in a lot of ways, by just running the football. Do not be surprised. There's no props for this, but do not be surprised. At any point in this game, especially maybe in the second half, if you see Blake Corum throw a touchdown pass or throw a pass in general or a flea flick or something like that, because this is a this is a run first offense and everyone knows that. I don't see a lot of success on the outside against Terry and Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry. I yeah. see hardly any of that. Caleb Downs is a true freshman uh, safety who's been one of the best players, I think, at that position in the country, regardless of age. But there are places where you can get this Alabama team vulnerable, at least. And I think that the, the longer you see that team kind of creep up in the box, Malachi Moore coming down in the box, Caleb Downs coming in, their leading tackler, I think you might have some opportunities where maybe you can slip somebody free behind the defense with a, with a trick play. Is there potential to feel like Michigan could come out and look like the better team and there could be some confirmation bias of, oh, yeah, you know what? This, this is just Michigan's year and, yeah. and, and go, well, maybe I like first half money line for Michigan 
for Michigan to go into the halftime with a lead uh-huh. and then get the action on the Bama side. A Bama team that has trailed at halftime, I believe, five times this year, has trailed at halftime more than any Saban coached team, I believe, yeah. in the last, well, like even including 2007, I want to say. They have trailed mm-hmm. more times at half and they have gotten to this point. Bama, money line, if they're trailing at halftime, would be an interesting couple of bets to try and, I mean, that's one live bet and one, I guess, not live bet if you're taking Michigan money line in the first half. But that Dude. could be something where there could be some some real interest and some upside. And and from a value standpoint, I think there's a lot of value there. Michigan has been the best team in the country in the first half. From from offense and defense standpoint, the, the scoring margin, you already heard me say that the scoring margin full game is 27.2. They also lead for first half as well. Um, I mean, they have just been red zone TD allowed. They're ranked number one. First half scoring D, they're allowing five total points per game. Now, here's here's what I do think is interesting here, Connor, is, is what you brought up. Michigan first half money line is minus 125, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's not, not, not crazy. crazy. If you want to take a flyer on something, we've talked about this on some of the other episodes that I think is a really, really good potential play, and that is with a team that has made second-half adjustments so much at Alabama – and into so much success. LSU, you're tied. You win by 14. Tennessee, you're down by 13. You win by 14. Ole Miss, you're down by one. You win by 14. There's a lot to be said for that, especially with the fact that how good Michigan is out of the gates. Um, Michigan to win the first half. Alabama to win the full game. Plus 700. Love the value. Oh, that's Love it. the value on that. Wow. That, I didn't think it'd be that significant. But mm-hmm. that is... Uh... That that's that's really really juicy. And for those, I think it was Taylor Lewan. If you've watched some of his rants about Bama, wherein he said that Michigan like has has allowed like a touchdown in the third quarter. If you would want to buck that trend, he was wrong about that stat. He was definitely yeah. wrong about that stat. So don't take yeah. that one to the bank. Take this to the bank. Well, instead. and if also if Taylor Lewan's watching, which I'm sure he is, one of the things I love to do when I research a team is instead of just focusing on the one game to fit my narrative, like South Florida for Alabama. Maybe you watch any of the other 12 games. I respect his unbiased opinion. Yeah, totally. Same. Very much. I respect your unbiased opinion, Marler. Uh, I think you approach this like, a, like someone with money at stake, not someone with so much unbelievable emotional investment into this. Listen, team. we beat Georgia and we're in here, and I don't care how that sounds. Like I, I didn't expect him to make the playoff. They probably still shouldn't have made the playoff. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I think it could end well. I will give you my prediction when you ask for it. Marler playing with house money is a dangerous thing. All right, give it to us. Prediction. Bama 24 to 20. I, I, I think that this is a really, really good game, I think, for, for a majority of it. I don't think this is going to be a comfortable game. I think it's going to play out a lot like the, the Bama LSU games in the early 2010s. Just two very good defenses, trying to see who flinches first. Um, I, I, I just I love this Alabama team. And, and I, anytime you tell me you get SEC players to go up against the Big Ten opponents, you know there I'm going to go with the SEC. I was waiting um, for it. That's, I mean, you know, like I, I just, I feel, listen, this Bama team is, they have played enough competition. They've played enough close games. They've played enough good teams and not, and not really flinched since the Texas game. I just, I love where this team's at. And, and I think that this is a really, really good spot for them going up against a team that is, I think, a little bit overconfident. I think a little bit overconfident. I didn't have a set prediction coming into this that I was all over, but I'm just going to piggyback. I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to copy and paste, copy and paste in solidarity. 24, 20 Bama wins this one. Love it. That would be the under just barely hitting depending on what that finishes at, but it, it's currently at 44 and a half. So that would be the under mm-hmm. barely hitting. That would be obviously Bama um, winning outright, not just covering, but um, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I think hopefully we're going to get two great semifinal games. Like last year. Last year was awesome. It was yeah. such a fantastic day of football. And one of my favorite memories of doing this job is standing there on that sideline of the Peach Bowl, waiting for that game to start and talking with our guy, Josh Pate, and awkwardly standing about 20 feet behind Urban Meyer and watching him ride the, the ebbs and flows rooting yeah. against Michigan. Not rooting for TCU, but just rooting against Michigan. Yeah. Um, and how fun of a day of college football that, that turned out to be, um, even for you, because you got to watch Bama beat Kansas State in a bowl game that everybody And I got to go to the Peach Bowl. And you, were, and you were at the Peach Bowl. So it was a great yeah. day of college football. Outside all. of the Uber, three hour. I don't think I got into an Uber until 3.30 in the morning because it was New Year's Eve. But, yeah, outside of that, it was awesome. 
Who calls for an Uber at 1230 on New Year's Eve in a major city? The entire city did. The entire yeah. city did. That's your answer. God, I feel like that one's on you. Yeah. All right. Um, that is betting the bulls. As I said before, you must be 21 years or older to gamble. Please gamble responsibly and within your limits. If you need assistance, please call 1-800-522-4700. We're going to be back with one more. We are going to preview the national championship next week. We will have our guy Bob back on to be able to dig into hopefully a even an even more loaded set of props because props mm-hmm. as it relates to the Super Bowl and national championship uh, are very, very fun. Um, hopefully the odds makers will have a lot of those up. But yeah, for now, um, that is betting the bulls. We'll see us again next week. Hey, sports fans, we've got an exciting offer exclusively for new users of ESPN bet. When you join, be sure to enter the promo code SOUTH during sign up to unlock an additional $50 in your betting account. That's right. You can wager on your favorite sports and receive up to $250 in bonus bets when you use the promo code SOUTH. Please remember, you must be 21 years old to participate in sports betting. We encourage responsible gambling within your means. If you ever need assistance or support, please reach out to 1-800-522-4700. Join the action today and make the most of this fantastic offer.